part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Those songs this morning were not uh, picked out by chance. I truly believe that God led Ricky to, to pick each one of those because really the, the text this week is one that is very, very challenging. And if you read the text ahead, if you kind of read ahead, you're going, yeah, man, to be quick to listen, to slow to speak, slow to become angry. Yeah, that's a challenging text because we think of it in that moral kind of human way and we're going, man, I struggle with that. You know, my mouth kind of goes off before this. I promise you, though, this morning, though, that's not really what is the struggle with that text. The struggle with that text is that we would preach that in isolation of all that James has already written to us and that we would come to this kind of moral understanding, okay, these are the right things to do. And I promise you this morning that that's not really what James is getting at. He could have used one of a thousand different illustrations there. He just kind of goes to one that probably all of us know that we have need of, and that is to kind of control our mouth a little bit more, to kind of have our anger in, in balance. I mean, who can't relate to that? But I promise you this morning that that's not really what James is saying is the bottom line of that passage. It's an illustration that he used, a very uh, wonderful one, one that's really pertinent, but it's not what he's talking about. Every week a pastor, not only this pastor, but every pastor that stands before a congregation, especially in this day and time, we are challenged. We're challenged by a lot of different things, but two of the challenges that we face is, okay, I know that there's a lot of needs out there, so do I preach toward the needs, felt needs of people, because certainly they're going to like that. Lord, I preach the majesty of God. Honestly, what is your... I don't... I am not minimizing what you brought in this morning because we brought some really deep needs this morning, some really deep needs. But answer for yourself, what is your greatest need this morning? To have that problem, that situation fixed, or to see the majesty of God? I mean, when that's the two options... Doesn't your present problem, we're not negating that. We're not trying to say that it's little. Which is your deepest need? To see God for who he is? Or to say, okay, God, can you give me about three ways to get out of this situation that I'm in? Because a lot of times when we come into church, and really, if you've been going to church for a long time, we grew up really kind of with that other mentality. With a mentality of, okay, here's the the commandments, Here's the moral code. Now go out there and be moral people. And and Christianity is about a morality of people. We're going to see that in James this morning. He calls us to be moral people and to be obedient to the word of God. But more than that, he wants us to really see and, and have relationship with the holy God. That's your greatest need. That's my greatest need. Because here's the thing, guys. Without that in place, without seeing the sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of who God is, and we just have three things to go do this week to try to solve this problem, we're doing that in our power. And we're crossing our fingers and we're hoping, okay, I'm just hoping that I say the magical words in such a way that everything turns out. Folks, we are not people that have to cross our fingers and hope in magical words. The living God, creator God, knows you, cares for you, and is fully aware of everything that's going on in your life. 
And I promise you this morning, your greatest need, I promise you this morning, according to the word of God, isn't solving that problem next week. As big as that problem is and not negating or trying to belittle that problem, your greatest need, my greatest need this week is seeing the holiness of God and just who, how awesome he is. Then we know we have an anchor for our soul. Then we know, hey, this problem, it's still there. My heart is still hurting. My mind is still puzzled. All these things are happening. But I know that I have an anchor for my soul. Why? Because I know the holiness of God. I know the majesty of God. I know that he's a good, good father. I know all these things. Why? Because his word reveals this to me. Now, I say that because this morning, as we get into this word in James, it's really easy to kind of just look at the instruction that is there, and it is clearly instructional, and kind of leaving it at that. But that really wasn't what James was doing. James, is he's talking about trials, and then we spent a couple weeks of talking about temptations. And when we hear the word of God, there's a couple different ways that we can live out the word of God. And one way that we're, let's say that we're tempted to live out in, in one of two ways that kind of come natural to us as humans, fallen people in a fallen world. One is to say, okay, here's this instruction Man, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, and it becomes a weight upon our shoulders. And the answer, if we take that uh, philosophy, is I better have some really strong shoulders and some really strong legs to kind of come under that weight. Have you ever felt, felt that? I mean, have you ever honestly felt that? You know, you read something that's convicting in the Word of God, and you're going, man, I hope I'm tough enough for this task. One way that you can hear God's word, it's not meant to be heard that way. All of our power is through Christ. But it's easy as humans to kind of hear it that way. The second way is to collect a lot of information about God and the things of God and never have that transformation take place in our life of becoming more like Christianity, uh, more like Christ. Let me tell you this morning, guys. Christianity is not about your ability to pass the test. I promise you. Number one, that's a good news for us because none of us would pass. Now, some of you would get a 97. I'm amazed at how spiritual some of you are, how really good you are in, in, in one sense. And, you know, we're, we're a church that there's some really sweet, powerful people here. And you would score a 96, but you wouldn't score a 100. And 100 is what you need in order to kind of pass, you know, to be with a holy God. So it even the best, you're not going to be able to pass that test. Here's the good news of the gospel. Christ passed the test. Faced everything that we will ever face. He passed it with flying colors. He scored 100. And now, as we trust in him and his provision of his sacrificial death and resurrection for us, we get to kind of go in on, if you want to say his coattails, or we get to go in on the work that he has done and accomplished. And so there's going to be a judgment one day that you'll stand, there's two judgments coming in the future for every person. And one of those judgments is the judgment of sin. And if you're in Christ this morning, I mean, this is blowing my mind. I stand there and he looks and he says, a hundred. Oh God, I thought you knew all things. I, I mean, I can tell you all the things I did. No, he sees me in Jesus Christ, completely forgiven because of the work of Christ completely covered by the blood and the work of Christ sufficiently. I don't have to pass the test because Christ passed the test. Amen? Amen. There, there is another judgment coming, though. And that is the judgment, if you want to say, of works, of what we did with this life. Once Christ came in and we saw 
with our eyes, and we saw with our heart and our mind all the things we sing about today, and we see Christ, and we see this offer of the gift of Christ, the Bible does say that we're responsible how we live that life of Christ. So we don't minimize that, okay, we just get saved, ticket to heaven, and then we just gloriously go on our own way until we cash in on that ticket. No, the Bible calls us into holiness, into Christ's likeness. That's a high calling. And so we can do it one of two ways, guys, or, or two wrong ways. One, we can put it all on our shoulders and say, man, I just better get my act together, and you're going to feel the weight of the law of God instead of the liberty of the law of God, as James would say today. Or you're just going to do what I call collect spiritual note cards. How many of y'all back in high school, uh, college, made note cards when you prepared for a test? You'd kind of put information there? You know, I, I didn't remember in a finance class, uh, Coley and I were engaged at the time. We weren't married. And uh, I, I wrote all, uh, in finance, you had to have all these different formulas and stuff. And, I mean, it was this thick. And we would just sit there night after night. Date night was, get out the finance cards, okay, for finance class. And, and all these things, and I would have to get those exactly right. Well, do you know, it's an easy trap to, to do your Christianity that way, to come to church, take notes, write in your Bible, here's the three things, and to collect spiritual note cards, but never have it transform your life. Really easy to do. Really easy to do. Very tempting to do. To collect a lot of information about God, but never have the transformation that comes to knowing Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate that with today's text. Look, uh, James chapter 1, we're in verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Now, again, he's talking to the church at Jerusalem. Uh, more than likely, this was a, a letter that was going to be passed around to other churches. But he, James is the pastor of the church, one of the pastors of the church in Jerusalem. It's a large church, so he's talking to a lot of people. And he says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, two more questions. A lot of questions today because it's kind of an interchanging thought. I want you to engage with the purpose of this. How many of you think that the instruction in verse 19 is wise? Just kind of raise your hand if you think that's wise. I mean, I could actually go back to Proverbs, a book of wisdom, and find a lot of verses that would support that. Hey, man, you know, you be slow to anger, be, be quick to listen, you know, figure out all the details. Don't put your mouth in gear right away. You know, there's everything about that seems very wise. Okay, how many of you would agree with the conclusion of verse 20? That is, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of you would agree, hey, that's true. Man, when I get angry, <laughs> that is not really what God wanted me to do. Here's the thing, guys. We could stop right there. We could take these two verses, preach those two verses, and say here's wisdom for life with very much a true conclusion. But I want you to know this morning that that's not really what James is doing. And there's a temptation in, in my heart, and I think in a lot of pastors' heart, to say, well, let me give you five things about watching your mouth this week. And we wouldn't be wrong with that, but we'd be missing that. I promise you, I, I fall for this a lot. 
And I think any pastor who's honest would tell you, what a temptation there is every Sunday to hear the words, great sermon, rather than the words, what a great God you spoke of this morning. I'm just sharing my heart, guys. The pressures of performance, the, the pressures of, I mean, you get to listen to the best of all pastors out there, you know, on an iPod. And the pressure is there for anybody who teaches, anybody who gets in there and says, man, you know, I'd love for them to go away today saying, well, what a great sermon. And I pray, I pray in humility today that you would leave this place saying, what a great God we serve. Then he would be the focus and we would get this text. We would really be able to say, man, we don't understand it all and now we've got to go out and live this. But man, we get this text because it is not about you becoming better. It is about the sufficiency of God and his provision for you as we live this very challenging life. Because I don't know about you, but I look at verse 19 and, and there's three things there and I feel like that guy who's never held about before and he's facing the best pitcher in the whole league with a 101 mile an hour fastball. And I'm going, okay, quick to hear, strike one. I know I don't do that. Slow to speak, oh, probably two strikes at that one. Slow to anger, man, I miss that. I mean, when you look at those three things, how many of you would say, I think I kind of strike out on a regular basis of those three things? Yeah. Uh, so let's look at those, and we look at it all by ourselves. We, we, we just said that this is wise, this is true, and now we have a choice. We can put this task on our shoulders and say, muscle up. We can be real spiritual and take notes and say, it is wise to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we can put that little note right there and file it in our Bible so that when we come back to James chapter 1 some other time, yeah, here's some notes I took. And never be transformed by this truth. What James is wanting, what he's talking about in this whole chapter 1, week after week, whether it is trial, whether it is temptation, he's talking about authenticity of faith, a real faith for real people in a real world. So he's not trying to challenge us and and say, okay, here's something I know you're not going to get. This is something you can't achieve. No, he's simply giving us an illustration of a bigger truth. He doesn't negate the, the wisdom of this, verse 19. He doesn't negate the truth of verse 20. But it's not the fullness of what he's talking about. To grasp the fullness, we have to go back to verse 17 and 18. So look in your Bible there, verse 17 and 18. We have to go back and we have to go forward. This is the prophet, guys, of expository preaching. This is where we gain by going verse by verse, keeping everything in context as best as we can, and going, okay, this isn't just verse 1 and 2. No, there's actually, you know, 18 verses before, and there's a lot of verses after. And we take it in the context of what was meant. What is the context of this? Look at verse 17 and 18. 
We were tempted, we said last week, that the greatest temptation that you and I will ever face is not pornography, pornography is not drinking, it is not uh, the lust of eyes. All those, man, there, there's a lot of temptations. The greatest temptation that we will ever face as Christians is to doubt the goodness of God, the character of God, the holiness of God, the who God is. That when trials come, when our heart is broken, that we wonder, God, do you really care? That's the greatest temptation that you and I really face. So knowing that, what does James do? Last week we left with this. He reminds us of who God is. He's coming back to the character of God because the answer wasn't just three points and go home and do this. The the answer was, hey, you have an anchor for your soul. You have an anchor for this. If you're in Christ, you have an anchor for this. And what does he say about God? Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What does he mean? That there's no shadow and and there's no variation? In other words, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You and I are not. We have good days. We have bad days. We have days when we woke up on the wrong side of the bed. In fact, most of us say that's the only side of the bed we ever get out on. God doesn't do that. God doesn't just wake up. Number one, the Bible says in the Old Testament, he never sleeps or slumbers. The Bible doesn't, you know, he doesn't say that we have this moody God that he just looks down and says, you know, I'm kind of a little ticked at what you were doing last week. He's a holy God. He's a just God. He's a good God. And so he doesn't get moody with you. How many of y'all have a great marriage? See, one lady raising her husband's hand there. You know, <laughs> yeah, get your hand up. <laughs> no, you have a, but how many would you agree that in that marriage there is moodiness? Almost on a continual basis. Yeah. You got a good marriage. You love this person. But man, hey, I know when she says that, Head outside. You know, when he comes in from work like that, take the kids and hide. You know, we understand that there's a moodiness about all of our lives. God, it's not like that. So James settles, okay, look, as we go through trials and temptations, as we go through all the inconsistencies, the ups and downs of life, we don't have a God who's up and down. We have a God who's consistent. He is holy and just in everything that he does. Verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. James is telling us about the nature of God. He says God is good. God is a giving God. He is a consistent God. And then in verse 18, he tells us of his own will. He brought us forth by what? The word of truth. He gives us his word, what we call our Bible. He gives us by his own will. It wasn't demanded of God. There's not a booklet that says, if you're going to be God, you must have an instructional booklet that goes along with it. He said, by his own goodwill, by his own desire to reveal himself and his nature and truth about yourself and the truth about him, he has given us his precious word. So James is saying, not only is he a good God, but he's a giving God. He says he's a consistent God. Now, why did he do that? So that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creations. In other words, God wants his people, please hear this, God wants his people to truly look different. 
he, he does not expect for us to look like the, the rest of the world. He's, he, he does, he's not into camouflage Christianity. He's not into camouflage, you know, okay, I got my ticket to heaven, Christ in my heart, and, you know, basically I can do whatever I want. And he says, no, he calls you into a, a life that looks like Christ, that reflects Christ's likeness. And it's his lifelong journey. If you live to be 100, you'll still be, you know, at, at 99 and 364 days, you'll still you know, be trying to achieve that in, in a sense of looking more and more like Christ. So he does both of these things. And while we could then do a sermon just on how do we become more Christ-like, basically what he's trying to say is the Christian life is one of transformation. One of transformation. Transforming from our old selves to look more and more like Christ. But here's the, the tug of war that you and I will play throughout our Christian life. Are we going to be gatherers of spiritual information? Are we going to become the objects of spiritual transformation? When you leave this morning, will you know more about God or will you look more like Christ? Is the struggle real? I mean, in your life, is the struggle real? That it would be easy to kind of come and get information about God? And kind of going, okay, now I know some more information, and five of my neighbors didn't come to church, so you kind of feel like you're, at least I have some information. I'm kind of a step up. I'm not the worst guy in the room. Not the best guy in the room, but I'm not the worst guy in the room. Folks, it's not about gathering information. It's about spiritual transformation. As it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we truly would have a new mind, a new heart, a new way of thinking about things that we truly would react differently in situations. Even if James 1.19 is a challenge to us, and our normal is that we're not quick to listen. How many of you have ever caught yourself thinking of your response as whoever you're talking to is speaking to you? I mean, that's really humbling. You know, they're, they're, they're talking to you. You didn't hear a word you're saying. All you're hearing is they said the first five words, and now you're kind of formulating your response to them. This is hard for us to be quick to listen. But he's not just saying that about your mate. He's not saying that about your children or somebody else. He's really talking about being quick to listen to the word of God. Be quick to listen to what? Well, certainly to people, but if you keep it in context, quick to listen to the word of God. James chapter 1, verse 21, 22. If we truly are going to change the way we think, we act, we talk, relate to other people, look what it says. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampart wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Talking about the word of God again. We're going to see the word mentioned probably five or six different times because that's kind of the object of this. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word is not to put on a, a note card and file away. It's the implanted word. When you implant something, it's in there. If you had to go get something for your heart and they implanted uh, you know, a heart monitor and they implanted it, what did they do? They opened up your skin. They put that device down there and then they closed it back up. It, it's in you. It's not just kind of, okay, why, wear this on your wrist where you can take it off. No, if something's implanted, it's in you. And he says, okay, here's, here's the intention of God's word. It's not just something you kind of wear in your wrist and it was Sunday morning at 11 o'clock and at 12 o'clock, what do you do? You just take that off. Don't need that anymore. 
Now he says the implant, implanted word of God. It is integrated rather than segregated. And it is so tempting in our humanity, folks, to, to look at Christianity not as the pie shell that holds all the slices of our life. One of the great temptations is for us to say, okay, here's my spiritual life, here's my work life, here's my married life, here's my life with children, here's my fun life, here's my Georgia Bulldog life. You know, I kind of have all my life and all the pieces of my pie, and they're all in there. But one of those, you know, look right there, Pastor, one of those is my spiritual life because I'm serious about it. Folks, that was never God's intention. That's not Christianity. Christianity is that the pie shell, (laughs) Christ, is holding everything together. And you still have your work life, and you still have your married life, and you still have your parenting life, and you still have your fun life, and your Georgia Bulldog life. You still have all these parts of your life, but Christ is the pie shell that holds it all together. It's not a slice of your life. He is your life. So James is is telling us there, and he says, then verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Informational living, living out information, is not, again, it's nothing more than just collecting spiritual note cards. Transformational living, what James is calling us into, is accepting the truth and acting upon the truth. That, that song, Anchor for Your Soul, it's about how there's something real there. We are emotional people, God made us with emotions. He's created us with emotions. And that's why we're up and down and all over the place because part of that emotions goes up, part of that emotion goes down. It's all over the place. He says, here's your anchor of the soul. Does he give us an answer to our emotions? No, he gives us an answer to our soul. So his answer to us isn't an emotional answer just because we have an emotional need. Wouldn't you like, I mean, honestly... When you're having an emotional need, wouldn't you like an emotional answer from God? I mean, just be honest. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of convenient for God? Hey, God, you're the one that made us emotional, (laughs) and my heart is breaking. So will you just meet that emotionally? He will. We're not belittling that. But he says, look, I'm going to give you truth that is even deeper than just that emotional need. He does comfort the soul. He does comfort the soul. But what does he ground that comforting of the soul in? The anchor of his truth. Do you see the difference there? Because if all God gave you was, you know, Jeff, you, usually, you look like you need a hug. And so all God does, oh, man, hug. Emotional need, emotional response, great. God does do that. I, I believe that he hugs us all the time through different things, through his word. But he says, look, I want you to know that that hug is anchored in something that is more than just an emotion. That hug is anchored in spiritual truth so that even when you don't feel so lovable that you want a hug, that you can still have this truth. That's what James is talking about. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. He said, man, when you just kind of live emotionally rather than just the anchor of what Christ has done, he he said, you're not going to have a complete answer. And he goes through and he anchors all of this in the word, which is Christ. Christ in the flesh was the word, the living word of God. If you're holding a Bible this morning, you have the word of God. And look, verse 18, 
Word of truth. Verse 21, the implanted word. Verse 22, doers of the word. Verse 23, hearer of the word. Verse 25, the perfect law, the law of liberty. What is the law? The word. But what kind of law is it? It's the perfect law, and it's the law of liberty, not one of constraint. Again, that's where we have this anchor for our soul. James is trying to tell us, back in verses 17 and 18, about the nature of God, the character of God, the promises of God, and the word of God. And then look what he does in verse 25. He anchors the instruction of God to the character of God and then to the blessing of God. Follow through this, okay? But the one who looks into the perfect law, what is the perfect law? The word of God. Okay. The, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law, what kind of law is it? Liberty. It, it's not to put a weight upon us. It's not like, okay, here's your task you know, list to, to do this next week. It's the law of liberty. And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but the doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Here's what God is doing. Or, or James is pointing out that the instruction of word of God relies on the character of God. And so when we act on this word of God, we'll be blessed of God. The blessing of God is connected to the word of God, Christ, all that Christ has done. You can believe it. It's an anchor for your soul. He just happens to use an illustration that all of us can relate to. James could have used anything, but he, he uses an illustration. It's not that James is going, you know, man, there's a lot of trouble in my church with all these people talking and being angry with one another, and they just talk at a place. That, that probably happened in that church just as much as it does in any church. But what he was saying is that to be quick to listen, listen to the word of God. You may not say it out loud, but how many times have you thought, when you hear the instruction of the word of God, and it's not what you want to hear, that your mind starts to say, but, <laughs> but what about this? What about that? Now he says, be quick to listen. He's not talking about husband and wife, even though we said that this is wise to do as husband and wife, parent and child, relationships of other people. This is wisdom. It is truth. But the core of what James is trying to get us to see on this faith journey that we're in is, okay, be quick to listen to the word of God. Be slow to speak. Don't let that response be. But God, have you seen who I'm married to? You know, I, I know it says the, to love them. That, that's how we're not quick to listen and slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Again, we can see that in relationships. But if we put it back in the context of what James is seeing, where is our anger focused? Kind of at God, because we just don't like that he's not kind of solving everything in a way that is palatable to us. This is instruction for us, brother, not so much just in earthly life. It has that truth. It has that application. But ultimately, in this faith walk of journey that we're on, do you trust God? Do you really just trust God? Or do you always have that kind of response to God when it really gets hard. Yeah, God, but. That's really the challenge of it. Let me wrap it up this morning. 
Uh, you can have, I'm sure there's more, but at least four different responses to the Word of God. One is you can ignore it. You can be a hearer and not a doer. You can just say, that's not for me. God doesn't understand my situation. He doesn't understand who I'm married to or how my children are or my parents, This, whatever the situation. He doesn't understand that what I have to work in in this working relationship. And so we just ignore whatever instruction is there from the Word of God. The second thing is what we were talking about before, we can let it weigh its down that we look inwardly for a power of ourselves to be able to accomplish this. And then it does not become a law of liberty, folks. It becomes very much a, a law of bondage. When Christ came and he was talking to all the Jewish people, he said, man, you, you've made the law, this beautiful law, you've made it a weight into the people. You've put so many different, you know, they had, what, 614 extra little commandments that they wrote in? He said, you've made it a weight upon people. So we can respond to God's word as just, man, here's the five things I've got to do this week. To the best of my ability, I've got to be quick to listen. And I've got to be slow to speak. I've got to be slow to become angry. And even though those are wise things to do, if you take upon them just yourself, you're into a self-help session rather than seeing the magnitude and the beauty of God. And Jesus has just become your life coach rather than your savior. Third response, file it away. Take the notes, sing the song, amen it, get inspired and kind of emotional for the moment, put it on page 326 of your Bible, never to be seen again, never to be applied to your life. Or number four, and this is God's desire, hear it, receive it, and be transformed by it. To truly think differently because you've been exposed to the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the truth of God. That the truth of God truly changes the way that you start to approach things. I was talking to uh, uh, somebody this morning, and he gave me an example. He said, yeah, I mean, there was one time, and his wife had had an accident, and he said, I was kind of, you know, upset, and I was ready to react. And he said, and I started thinking, you know, that is not the way that God would want me to respond. Because we were talking about this passage about, you know, it has great application, guys. It's not that, okay, this is all up there in the spiritual realm. No, it has great application that this word that is wise does transform us and all of a sudden our reaction to the people around us, the reaction to the way that we live our lives is more Christ-like, not because it's a heavy weight on our shoulders, but because the love of God inspires us. The anchor of God and the character of God helps us, empowers us, to actually live it out. So here's the choice that you have this one. You can react in one of those four ways or in another way. You can ignore it. You can file it. You can feel like, oh, wow. I know my wife's going to be waiting for me this week to be slow to speak now since the pastor preached about it. Or you can say, God, will you take this truth and when you transform the way that I even process information in the relationships, starting with that primary one of husband and wife, if you're married, starting with the way I deal with my children, deal with my boss, deal with the people around me, deal with family, will you help me? Because look at this last little passage. Okay, let's go back to it because we, we said that it was true. Can you put up there that last slide? All right. Let every person be quick to hear. Yeah, okay, here, here. Again, did we agree from the very beginning that this was wise? 
It could fit in Proverbs. It's wise stuff. Did we agree that God said that this was true instruction, that not living this does not produce the righteousness that God desires? Did we agree with that? So here we come all full circle, and we haven't taken it as a moral lesson. We've taken it as an instruction just to trust God in the instruction that he gives us. We've looked at the bigger picture, but now here's the time. How do we become doers of the word? And if there's 80 of us in here this morning, I believe and I trust that God will have 80 different applications of this. That if Radley hears and receives and acts upon this, it's going to look one way. And that Carly, it's going to be something else. For Bruce, it's going to be something else. Because he's a personal God. We have personal needs. We have personal challenges. We have personal weaknesses. We have personal strengths. We have all these things going on. And God doesn't say, okay, here's the generic place. I hope you like vanilla ice cream because that's all I'm giving you. No, he says, man, that Radley looks like a tutti-frutti ice cream guy. He looks over to Carly and says, man, she likes that pecan, butter pecan kind. Yeah. I should know that. Man, demerit. Bad, bad pastor. I should have been very quick to hear and very slow to speak on that one. Uh, he's a good, good father. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to close. I'm going to be very quiet. Uh, praise team's going to come up if you notice. I actually am quiet before 12 o'clock today. I'll never apologize for going long because how, how often are we under the word, guys? So when I preach for 42 minutes, I mean, there's a part of me, I don't want you ever to be uncomfortable. 42 minutes out of your whole week, come on. <laughs> we need this word, okay? But if you notice, it, it's early today, okay? We're, we're, because here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, okay, God, how do I become a doer of this? Not in my own strength, not in my own ability. How do I really live this out? God, what are you speaking to me this morning? How does your word speak to me in my situation? And for some, it may be a word of encouragement from God. For others, it may be a word of, of instruction from God. For, for others, because he's a loving God, it may be a word of discipline from God. And it will cause us to come to a point of confession. God, forgive me. Help me to restore this relationship. Let me go to this person and, and ask for apology. Humbly ask that we can restore relationship because I lost my temper with him. I said some things, and I wish I could take those things back, but I can't. So let me just go help. Will you help me, Father, to restore that relationship? So let's pray. I want you to look at that. I want you to ask I want your prayer to be this morning. God, what is your personal instruction? since you're a personal God, for, for that upon my life so that I can be a doer of the word this week, not of my own ability, not in my own strength, but by the power of Christ in me. As the praise team comes, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, we admit, we agree that this verse, verse 19 and 20, by itself is great wisdom. Who would not profit, even a non-Christian, how would they not profit by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? That's just wise. That's just smart. But Father, you're, you're trying to teach us more about how you're transforming us 
instead of just a, a list of do's and don'ts. Father, you, you want the Christ life to begin to look like Christ, respond like Christ, think like Christ, act like Christ more and more. And we thank you for your patience. Father, sometimes in this Christian walk, it seems like it's one step forward and two steps back. Thank you for the cross, that the sufficiency of our relationship with you is not on our performance, but on the finished work of Christ. But thank you that you're a God who calls us into holiness. And Father, as we ponder, as we kind of grasp with this verse as an example, Father, you just write it upon our hearts what it means to us, the challenge that is there. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you are an anchor for our soul, that you have not left us just as uh, to, to be kind of driven by the winds of emotion. We thank you that we have the word of God that speaks into our lives. Help us to be silent and to listen and to be doers of the word. As we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.